Welcome back to the exciting, tantalizing, and as always, experimental podcast that we call Eating Things from Home Depot. Thank you so much. Uh, this week, we are going to try and eat some uh, plastic shelving notches, like the kind of things you would screw into a bookshelf, like an Ikea bookshelf, and then you would lay a piece of wood on top of that to make the shelf. So I'm going to swallow the things that, um, that hold the shelf up. Um, I have had some difficulty with similar items such as hinges, door hinges, but those were made out of steel. So um, I would tell you to rewatch that episode, but that, that was our lowest rated episode with a lot of negative comments, mostly talking about the fact that it, sh- it shouldn't be allowed on YouTube because I was, you know, I was, I was, I was getting really injured. But nonetheless, uh, just thank you for all the words of support, um, as always. But yeah, no, we're back with the Cooper Lydon is alone podcast. Um, listen, I got big plans for my life now. I know exactly what to do because I went rock climbing at a rock climbing gym. So fucking sick. Um, so I did that, and then on my drive home, which was very short, I smoked a small joint. Just living. A California life and it was raining but just a little bit so it feels undercover it kind of feels like you can do drugs in your car when it's raining I think if anything it's just more obvious because I think everything looks a lot crisper you know when there's like a lot of reflections when everything's wet but anyways I was going home smoking a little weed and I was listening to Billy Strings album called me and my dad which was an album made with him and technically his stepfather but the man that raised him um, he, he, he didn't know no other daddy. This man raised him and taught him bluegrass. And if you don't know, Billy Strings is like the preeminent young, current bluegrass guitarist and singer and musician. He's great. Um, he also does a lot of like Grateful Dead covers and shit. He's kind of getting to be part of that community. He's amazing. And the man that, that really spawned Billy Strings, his stepdad, they made an album together and it's beautiful. And it's interesting because it's it's such a horrible story, but it's interesting the way life works because I guess Billy Strings' biological father overdosed on heroin when he was a baby. Or maybe even before he was born, I'm not sure. And that's so awful. But because of that, his mother brought this new guy into his life who showed him the thing that would become his passion and his life's work now. Um, so it's interesting how... You know, I, I don't want to say everything is going to be okay and everything is, you know, happens for a reason, but it's, it's interesting how things work out like that. But I was thinking, I need to start learning bluegrass guitar right now because I play guitar. Uh, I, I started when I was five and I took lessons till I was like 12 or 13. And so I have a, a sort of a base of being able to move my fingers, but I'm not, you know, I'm not good. I can't play by ear, but I can learn things with a lot of instruction. So I'm thinking I need to learn bluegrass guitar ASAP and then not really ASAP but keep it on the docket is have a son okay and teach him bluegrass from a very young age to where we have a lot of photos like Billy Strings does of like a young boy like five holding a guitar that's a little too big for him okay and just he's he's five and he's like you know I ain't slept in seven days, but he's, you know, I'm going to have him singing songs about doing math and stuff, but that's the plan. And then I have to become a famous comedian. And then my son with a lot of emotional and 
financial encouragement, but like a healthy amount, um, will become an amazing bluegrass artist. The problem is he won't be as cool as Billy Strings because he won't grow up in a small town and he won't have done meth and cool shit. But maybe he will. I, I can't control his life, you know? I mean, that's Donald's life. Um, call him Don, though. But so that's the plan. He becomes a preeminent bluegrass musician, and then I get to go see his show at the recently opened 2050 grand opening of the the House of Blues coming back to LA. And it's like now it's a casino and it's awful, but he's 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 opening it. And I just I'm watching him play Mountain Dew or something, you know, some song like that, and I'm in the back and I'm crying my fucking eyes out, you know? And I'm watching him play and the crowd's loving it. And 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 that show, watching him do that, feels better than any show that I've ever done in my whole life. And you know me, by this time I've done MSG four times, you know. I've passed that point in my career. Um, so there's a lot of different things that have to happen for this one night to exist and work out. First off, I have to have a son. And if you're listening, being like, why can't you have a daughter? It's not be because I don't want a daughter. I'd love to have a daughter. It's the only thing is, I think if I try and teach a young girl bluegrass, when she is, I think even like eight years old, she'll be like, this is way too fucking hard to make money at. This is a bad career choice. This is not smart. Okay. This is not smart at all, because I respect Billy Strings so much, because going into Bluegrass, when he started in, like, I don't know, 2011 or whenever he started going at it, starting Bluegrass that way, like, there's no money in that, like, even less than stand-up, you know? And and a girl would just, I think, pretty easily be like, this is a bad idea. I'm not going to go across the country playing Bluegrass to try and have a career. This isn't a good idea. Not bluegrass, maybe some some country, maybe transition, have a Taylor Swift life. That would be great. And of course, I'd support my daughter in that. But it it does take a guy to be like, yeah, I'll commit my entire life to this music that is now having a resurgence, but hasn't been sung in years. And And listen, by the time he's alive... And able to think and stuff. I don't know what where bluegrass is going to be. Like Billy Strings' career is really kicking off in the last couple of years, and I only see it getting bigger. I mean, he's winning Grammy after Grammy, you know, and I think he's living a healthy life or healthier than before. You know what I mean? I think he's going to be around for a while. I think he's going to be doing good stuff for a while. So I think bluegrass is really going to move with him, whether or not he realizes it. At least on the forefront, because I say I like bluegrass, but I'm a bluegrass poser. Okay, I like Billy Strings. I like Mountain Dew by the Stanley Brothers. And, you know, whenever I hear any bluegrass, I like it. But I couldn't name you a lot of artists or songs. And I don't know if a lot of people could, especially if you asked anybody to name a current bluegrass artist. Most people would say I couldn't. But anybody that could is probably going to say Billy Strings. If you say current day bluegrass artist. So he's he's shepherding bluegrass somewhere. And he's teaming up with the dead, which is good, because they're having a resurgence. And I don't think he would say he's teaming up, but he covers a lot of their songs, and he'll play with them sometimes, the remaining members. So, listen, Bluegrass and the Grateful Dead and, of course, the Fish and, you know, Goose is going to be a part of it. All these communities have to come together to help save Bluegrass, because think about it like this. Jerry Garcia's first band, maybe not his first, but one of his very early bands before the Grateful Dead and before, like, the Warlocks was... Mother, what was it, Mother McCree's Jug Band? Something like that. There might be another word in there. But it was a jug band. So, like, one guy was 
playing a fucking jug. One guy was playing a fucking uh, washing board, I think. And then Jerry was playing the banjo. And I think Bob Weir might have also been there. And he was playing guitar. Um, I think I'm wrong about Bob Weir. But, you know, he's playing jug bands. He's playing a lot of bluegrass. Jerry was big into bluegrass. And then he got into jazz. So he started off his kind of bluegrass jug band stuff, then got into jazz. And then that, when he teamed up with all the boys, eventually became, you know, the Grateful Dead and then sort of jam band stuff. And, you know, I mean, the Grateful Dead are always given such a clear distinction as the jam band. To to, to the point that I don't know if it's really investigated much as to if they really could be considered kind of the first. But I think what's cool is that Grateful Dead, kind of in my mind, are in a long line of like blues grass and blues musicians to where they play a lot of covers and standards and really going long on a song. You know, happens a lot in bluegrass. Like in small communities, people in a circle, maybe in a church or something like that, probably not playing bluegrass in a church, but you know what I mean? You're playing, you're, you're really riffing that banjo. You're having long instrumental moments in the song you know these bluegrass songs if you're all singing in a big group why would you not do like seven minutes you know why would you not kind of jam out on it they wouldn't call it jamming but you know what i mean so i think the grateful dead took that principle and then used it to create what they made but they're coming from that principle so you know the the grateful dead are in this line of bluesgrass if we really want to make that reach that argument um you know and then they birth a band like fish you know and then now we have bands like goose and eggy and um you know and then i guess like widespread panic is is a jam i really don't know much about them and i should but they've been around for a long time i think maybe as long as fish maybe a little longer or less i don't know my point is the grateful dead starts with jerry garcia jerry garcia starts with bluegrass okay the grateful dead then goes on to create the fish the panics the Gooses, the Aggies, all these jam bands, they invent jam bands, but it all comes from bluegrass. And now we have this guy, Billy Strings, who's a bluesgrass artist, linking up with the dead, linking up with the, with the ancient primitive core of Grateful Dead, the bluegrass. And every jam band and every jam band fan owes it to Jerry Garcia and bluesgrass music at large to support every goddamn thing Billy Strings does, okay? Because I want Billy Strings to play bluegrass until the day he dies. But also, you know, we don't know if he's going to become the next great jam band musician. Who knows? He plays electric. He throws on an SG. He doesn't give a fuck. He's got, he's got Paul Reed Smiths. So you think he wouldn't? Okay? He could easily replace John Mayer, and he wouldn't sound a goddamn thing like him, okay? We're talking working man's dead. Country shit, okay? Mama tried. Dire wolf. What, you think he couldn't crush a Bertha or a Scarlet Begonias? He has, and he will again, okay? Fuck it, I like to hear him do some pig pen stuff, okay? Do some of that blues stuff, you know, hurts me too. Turn on your love light, shit like that. I would love to fucking hear that. So, you know, and if you don't listen to The Grateful Dead, um, then the last six minutes has sucked. But, you know, fuck you, okay? I'm not talking enough about my interest in getting passionate on this podcast. Most people would say that when I do this podcast, it seems like I don't like to be here. So if I got to talk about Grateful Dead and some of the ins and outs of it to stay interested in my own goddamn podcast, then you're fucking right I will. Am I doing this for myself? Probably. I'm not doing it for many viewers. So, yeah. But listen, I mean, I'll tell you what. There's something happening in music where our whole culture is very 
retro, very nostalgia based. And I really hate to see it when it comes to like, hey, let's spend millions of dollars on a Mario movie instead of a young director who could really be, you know, doing some cool stuff. You know, I don't like that. But I do like it when you have these artists like uh, Billy Strings and I would throw Charlie Crockett in there. He's a little more like bringing back kind of, you know, the 50s almost. Um, you know, even Tyler Childers, a lot of his early stuff is very, you know, it's it sounds like it's from now, but it's broken. You know, it's very simple and comes from a real place. Tyler Childers, Sturgill, all these young country artists that everybody's talking about shepherding in this kind of, you know, new but very much hearkening back um, form of country music that's away from the bullshit kind of stadium country of just boring strumming. I mean, these guys are really, you know, really pick the music is really good. Um, and I like seeing that. And there's some cool stuff happening. And all that cool stuff that's happening in country is also converging with a renewed interest in the Grateful Dead, which has been happening over the last decade, you know, Really, John Mayer ramped it the fuck up. But, you know, even still, I think, you know, I was going with my dad, but there are a lot of kids like me that started going to these, like, sort of reunion bands or reunion tours or, you know, the, whatever the remaining members of the Grateful Dead are doing, we started going to them. So all this is converging with the country, and Grateful Dead comes from country. And so a lot of those fans are, you know, really mixing and mingling into a thing that makes complete sense. Because if you look at a jam band, and you look at like a hoedown, you're like, these are just white people jamming, dancing in a very specific way. And the only difference is the Grateful Dead specific way is there's you don't know where you're going to put your feet next. In the country way, you know exactly where you're putting your feet next. And that's why there's a little, you know, there's a little, there's a little bumping heads with a few of them. You know what I mean? Starts jeans definitely don't go with ripped ones. But there's a common ground there of hearing a new brass string be plucked so fucking fast by some bluegrass motherfucker is sick to both of them, you know? I have a weird thought about bluegrass. And if you don't totally know what I mean by bluegrass, it's very fast-paced guitar picking and banjo picking. And sometimes bluegrass, like this, like I mentioned the Stanley Brothers, like their stuff is just like one guy's on guitar, one guy's on banjo. So there's not always drums. But uh, if there are drums, they're fast. It's very fast music, usually. The the music is fast. They're plucking very quickly. And sometimes they're holding notes for a while, though. Um, it's something you've heard. You know, it, it's something you might fucking not even really view as, like, a music to take seriously. Like, it's kind of like hillbilly music. Like, I think, like, I think a lot of people nowadays, like anybody nowadays, really, that just doesn't have an interest in it views it as like a corny almost like funny music you know what I mean where they're like I couldn't take that seriously like young people like most people that are like 23 would view bluegrass the way like a 60 year old man in the 1990s would view rap he'd be like that's not you know like he just it would almost be like a joke to him be like I couldn't sit in my car and listen to that and like actually enjoy it this is like movie this is like music I see in a movie or something you know but there's something weird about bluegrass where even though that might be the perception that it's very outdated, like why would I listen to this kind of music, it seems like something that anybody could listen to and enjoy. And I don't know why I think that because I don't like to think that with things I like. Like with things I like, I don't like to be the guy that's like, this is good, how could anyone not like this? And I don't necessarily think how could anyone not like this. I definitely see the how. 
I definitely see if you're not white, you'd be like, this is so fucking white. This is almost scary how white this is, and I, I'm not interested. I can see that, but there's also just like, like it's so fast. It's just a good. It's the same thing as like, um, like remember when everybody was into world music, like different tribes across the country, and they would just release like long songs of like just drumming, just like like that's a similar thing, where I'm like, I don't see how anybody could not enjoy that, because that's like just simple. And I think the common denominator is like. It's from a very cult. It's it is from a a real culture, you know. Um, and maybe people wouldn't like me comparing like primitive, I guess what you would call primitive tribes around the world to hillbillies in the Appalachia, but I think it's completely apt because those people are in small, tight knit communities focused on family, sometimes a little too much, and they usually have a specific kind of music. That's the only music they play, and they play it in a group. And a lot of times, every part of the group will have something to do with the song. Even if most people are just singing, kind of doing background vocals, they're still part of it. And I think, yeah, I think people want that. Billy Strings was talking about that on the podcast with Theo Vaughn. And it's funny because I'm not trying to paraphrase him. I've been kind of feeling the same thing because he was talking about this song, this album he did with his stepdad called Me and My Dad. And they have this song on it called Life to Go, which was originally written by, I think... um, Stonewall something? William Stonewall? Or was it a country artist that went by Stonewall Jackson? I think it was William Stonewall. But then George Jones sang it. Maybe he actually originally wrote it. But then the, anyway, they covered it. Um, and it's a nice like old country song that's like a guy telling a story about killing a guy and then now he's in jail and his, he never gets to see his daughter. It's very sad. But uh, it's great on Billy Strings' album because it's sung by Billy String's stepdad who's... Uh, you know, he's like an old man, so he's like an old man voice in a really great way. And the music is, you know, pretty simple. Like, it's just both of them playing, and they're both amazing guitarists and banjo players. But it's nothing too overproduced, obviously. So it just feels real. And sometimes it's really great to just hear a guy singing a song. Because this guy isn't like a career musician, but he is a musician. He's a man that we're lucky to hear because there's so many of these guys that exist throughout America and the world that are just so good at one instrument, but they just have a job, but they go home. And with the minute you walk into their house, you can tell that they're into that. Cause you'll, you might see the guitar laying, like you see it, you know, you can, or some tabs or something like it's all they do when they're not fucking working and actually getting to hear that guy. And you know, that guy, that, that album got nominated for a Grammy. So that guy getting to get nominated for a Grammy is like, it really felt, it feels like what I would like to see more in music where it's like, this guy is just really good, and a lot of people have been able to take note of it. And it doesn't seem like the industry is telling us to take note of it. You know what I mean? It's like Billy Strings obviously caught this vibe of people getting back into bluegrass, and he's so good and cool, and so he rides it. But then getting a guy like that into the industry is so great because he's like a real person, you know, with like, you know, family ties, and, and, and that means something to him. So it gets to be reflected in his music, in a way that's not just, you know, corny or for show, but, like, really, like, this would be a great album. Because if you think about it in his mind, he's like, me and my dad should do this album because I've been playing with this guy since I could even remember. So if there's anybody I should play with, think of the music that we could that we could make. And it's it's just covers. It's just standards that they've, you know, done their whole life, but it's done in their own way. And, like, it's cool because I like that album because it's like you're listening 
you know that you're listening to 12 songs that these guys have played over and over and over again since, you know, Billy was a kid and he's 31 now. So it's like these are these are like the songs of his life that are like like bred into his fucking fingers. And he's only gotten better at guitar so he can just like riff on them, you know. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, that's like a moment. That's like a special thing, you know. And he said he kind of rushed to record it because his dad was getting old and shit, so he had to do it. But it's like, that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, that's really exciting. And that's really impressive that that was nominated for a Grammy. That, like, you have such a vision that you're like, this music's good. This guy's fucking good at playing it. If we play it together, it'll be really be special. And not only special in the way where, even if you didn't know that was a story, you'd listen to that album and you'd be like, this is a special album. Even if you didn't know it was a father and son kind of thing, you'd know there's, like, there's something different about this. This wasn't, you know, this wasn't written by 12 guys in a in a corporate office or something. And, you know, that's not to shit on, like, Taylor Swift or whoever's fucking crushing it. I think that's that's something that's a natural part of capitalism, almost. Like, not to say the only reason Taylor Swift is famous is capitalism, but I will say when capitalism get involved with art, get it, gets involved with art, somebody like Taylor Swift is a really good artist to make famous because you can just make so much money off of it. And Billy Strings is a good artist to make famous because there is a market for him, but it's a, it's a smaller market, you know what I mean? So he'll never be Taylor Swift. And him being Taylor Swift, I don't know if that makes the world better. I don't think that's a better world anyway. I think he's perfect where he is. Everybody's perfect where they are. But it is very nice to get to hear music that was just made by an artist who thinks it's good. And he's doing it because he thinks it's good and because he wants to. He's not saying fuck you to anybody, but he's also not doing it for anybody. And there's nobody in his ear. You know, like, do you think when he's making the fucking album with his dad that they got record executives in the studio being like, um, do you, th- do you think you could uh, just maybe, like, cover um, uh, Love's Gonna Live Here again by Buck Owens? Like, maybe because I would kind of be like, nobody's in the fucking studio. It's just two guys. Billy Strings with a lot of resources and money now to get really great recording studios and backing musicians sitting down and playing the songs they've played for their whole goddamn life and spending as much goddamn time as they want on it, you know? And that's, yeah, that's just exciting, man. That just fucking amps me up, you know? That's just good art to have in the world. Um, And there's a lot of cool stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of people that are getting famous that you can tell a lot of people really want them to be famous and that they should because what they're doing is cool. Like, uh, like Toby... Like this rapper out of Houston, um, he's great. He almost he dresses almost a little like Kanye. Like it's like he and his background dancers, they all and his wife, who's also a rapper, they rap together a lot. They're both great, but they wear kind of like long and then like long clothes, like very plain and then like pastel colors. But he's just like completely doing his own thing, and he's from Houston, so like Paul Wall and Bun B and um, Trey, like everybody, everybody's like you know putting him on and saying he's a good guy and it's like him like toby and billy strings so like they're kind of very although different very similar artists in the way that it's like this is a music that is sort of bred out of a community and bred out of you know people more than it is somebody you know finding some artists and being like oh man they can make a lot of fucking money we just got to make sure they sing about the things we want them to and talk about the things we want them to you know what i mean and i you know i'd rather have a rapper from houston that is rapping about having a wife and a lot of children and loving god you know i'd rather have that 
than than a pop star. And I'd rather have Billy Strings, who's a guy from fucking a town of 666 people in Michigan playing bluegrass and singing about smoking meth, you know? Well, he wrote a song about his friend that went to jail for meth, but you get it. You know what I mean? And and that's like the the biggest thing that people want in almost all respects. I notice that people are rebelling against the kind of commercialized culture that we live in through their interest. So that's why, you know, somebody like Tim Dillon or Shane Gillis um, and a lot of people like that are famous, not only because they're great comedians, they are just purely in their own right, but also they came up through YouTube and they came up through a place where you just view them if you want to and nobody's pushing them. And, you know, Shane even was, you know, pushed out. And, you know, I respect him a lot because he didn't, like, embrace, like, the kind of right-wing shit. He just sort of, you know, the right-wing, we hate cancel culture. He just kind of kept going his way and then did it. But if you hear anybody talk about them, if you hear anybody talk about Billy Strings, if you hear anybody talk about Toby, they will probably all say the same thing, maybe a different way, which is I think it's cool that it feels like a guy became famous rather than I turned on my TV one day and they were there. It feels like a guy who was good at something started doing something and put it out on a free platform where people could view it and people naturally flocked to do it. And then eventually the industry gets involved and now Billy Strings has, you know, a lot better marketing behind him. He's doing bigger tours. I'm sure that's getting his music out there. And then Shane fucking has a Bud Light sponsorship. So those guys eventually, um, you know, get a lot of guys behind him. But by then, and for what they're famous for, and for the current culture that can kind of accept it, they don't really have to sell out. Like, there's a weird thing now where, and, you know, I hate a lot of, like, anti-cancel culture, anti-woke stuff. I will say, though, that there is a certain thing where, even if they're not uh, controversial, even if just a guy just kind of comes from nothing, if he's a guy like Billy Strings, you know, he's not controversial, he just kind of came from the ground you know he just came from america instead of like the industry when there's a guy like that they don't really get told what to do a lot because they're famous for just being who they are and shane is famous for being who he is and tim is famous for being who he is so you know it's cool because i feel like as opposed to like the 90s when they would want to have them on tv in a sitcom and be nice nice you know nowadays it's like well you don't need to be on a sitcom you don't need to be anything you can do it all your own and you've done it all your own and that's what people like about you and if you change that you lose everything so it's like when those guys become famous whether they're musicians or comedians all the people behind them are like well just keep doing whatever the fuck you're doing because you did it yourself and we don't know how to fucking do it okay you know how to like be a person and that's all that people want they want like a real connection you know i think that's why podcasts are big and i think that's why Something like bluegrass, which is very old-timey, simplistic music is big, is because people want to feel some sort of connection in what they're listening to. Because I think people feel really violated and slighted by the stuff that we're told to consume all the time. And, you know, it sucks because the people we're told to consume are not bad artists. They just, if you're close enough to fitting the mold of being a pop star, they will shove you in it. And sometimes they do it to good artists, you know what I mean? Like... Like, I like Billie Eilish. I think she's a good singer. You know what I mean? Maybe she'd be even cooler if she wasn't, like, thrust so far into the stratosphere and have to conform to so many things, you know, so young. Then again, I don't know about her creative freedom. Maybe she's doing everything she wants. But, yeah, it's like, 
it's just it's cool because I think a lot of people feel very hopeless nowadays, even if they're not artists. But a lot of artists feel very hopeless because they go like, what do I just have to put everything on Instagram and I'm just doing it for Instagram. And then all of a sudden my art is being influenced by the algorithm of Instagram. And that's something I have to fight and be aware of. And it's just like, how do you fucking do your own thing and be yourself and make money? And then, you know, guys like Billy Strings or Shane Gillis sort of come out of like YouTube and shit. And all these people are watching them, and then you find out they're making money, and then you put everything together, and you go, wait, so they're making money. A lot of people are enjoying them. If they announce a show, it sells out. So they've they've made it, at least for now. And they didn't do it with all this other stuff. You know, I mean, obviously Shane's different. He, he got very famous from the SNL thing. But, you know, a guy like Billy Strings, it's like, so, okay, so that guy did it. So it's like, if you see just one example of it, it, I think it births like a huge swelling of hope in people, even if they don't have an artistic pursuit, even if they're just a person, um, you know, trying to be a mechanic, which you know, is kind of its own artistic pursuit or whatever. You know, at least you just have a passion, whatever. If you just see somebody fucking doing it exactly their own way and they're making it the way that makes the most sense to everybody, which is, oh, a lot of people like them. That's why they're famous. If they do that, the world makes sense to you a little bit. Art makes sense to you. You have faith in people doing their own thing and not just giving up, you know, even just one example. Um, and, you know, sometimes people glob on a lot of different ideologies and different things onto those guys that maybe they're not trying to promote and that's its own thing. But I don't know why I keep kind of trying to cover all my bases when I'm talking. I'm just saying it's exciting, you know, and I think, I think it's cool that there's a lot of people that are able to make a living off of, the internet and not have to, you know, because it's like you look at the Leuven brothers who are, you know, it's one of my favorite country groups. It's two brothers, Leuven, Leuven brothers. Uh, I forgot their fucking first names, but is one of them Orville? Anyway, um, but they were in like the, the 30s, I believe, 30s and 40s. And uh, one played the mandolin, the other played just the guitar. They're very good at it. And they could harmonize their notes. What they could do is they could uh, harmonize, I think, what is called the undertones. I think I might be, or overtones. I think, yeah, I think that's it. The way they explained it was, like, when you play one guitar string, the guitar string next to it will vibrate. And it's because it's picking up, like, the, the overtone of that. I don't know. For some reason, they vibrate at the same frequency, although their sound is different. Like, they have, like, part of their tones are very similar, even though they sound different. So they can kind of harmonize in that way, the two strings. And two voices can do the same thing. And those brothers had voices that matched each other in that way. So one was more nasally, and one was deeper. But there was, like, this middle kind of hum you hear when they sing together, when they come together. And it's really amazing. But anyway, they were a mostly acoustic band, like mandolin and fucking... Uh, guitar but at that time rockabilly was getting more popular which caused their fucking record producers and shit you know the only people that could get their music out there there wasn't youtube they couldn't self-produce an album they had to have it produced by a record company and they had to conform to whatever the record company wanted and they wanted more of an electric sound they did not want mandolin so they wanted electric guitars and they wanted no mandolin and there's a couple songs on their uh, one album they have. They have a few albums, I think, but the one it's like terrible song. It's like a it's a cover of old folk tales that are all horrible songs. Like one is about like 
killing a woman you got pregnant. The the lyrics are horrific, but it's a great song. Anyway, there you only hear mandolin on like one song. There might be a banjo on another, but there's a lot of like this, you know, kind of rockabilly guitar that just doesn't totally make sense. And it's like not overbearing, but it doesn't need to be in there. And you think like, damn, if those guys existed today and loved that kind of music and wanted to play that kind of music today, they would be at the perfect time, and also they wouldn't be getting told what to do, so they could just do their fucking thing, you know? And it is crazy, because you listen to that album, and you listen to some songs, and I remember I was listening to a podcast, I think it's called like Cocaine and Rhinestones, they were talking about these guys, um, but they were saying like, yeah, like this song was usually played with a mandolin, but they just didn't do a mandolin, and and you listen to the one song that has mandolin on it, and you're like, this is how this music is supposed to sound. You hear the others, and you're like, it's wrong. And the saddest part is, those guys are dead. It's all long gone. It's too late now. So the songs live as they live, and, you know, in their own way, they're kind of like nice artifacts of the time and the trends and the leaning, and it's like sort of a lesson in that way. It's still a very good song, but, you know, it's sort of a relic of 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 that time. It was made for that time. It wasn't made to make good music and to make what those songs are supposed to sound like. It was supposed to fit into the mold, and that's what kind of, you know. But now a guy like Billy Strings doesn't have to do that, you know, so that's exciting. And, you know, a guy like me doesn't have to do that. And in the 80s, I would have to conform to things. And honestly, seeing how the podcast is going, maybe it would be better if I had to conform to more things. You know what I mean? Like, maybe it would be nice if a guy walked through that door and said, hey, man, you can't do 45, what are we at? 36, probably once we edit it, we'll be more at 33. You can't do 33 minutes on Bluegrass and the Grateful Dead, okay? It's not keeping people interested. Nobody gives a fuck about it. And, you know, listen, there's a couple people that, that gives a fuck about it, but they don't share stuff, okay? They're not good internet consumers. Talk about the mass shooting at the Chiefs Parade. It's what people want to hear, okay? Don't speak positively about bluegrass and music and art and people getting to do their own thing. Talk about the mass shooting at the Super Bowl Thanksgiving Day Parade. I mean, God, would you? I don't know. That's already old news by now, and I don't even know when I'm going to release this, but... um. I don't know. My friend looked into that story, and he was like, I think it was just some people shooting at each other. Um, but anyway, good for the Chiefs. Um, I don't know if I talked about it on my last podcast. I don't think. I was going to release the episode last week, and uh, I w- wasn't feeling it. Um, I recorded it, and I wasn't feeling it. And I was like, let's just fucking, let's regroup, try and get some stuff together. Um, but I'm sorry for all the inconsistency on this podcast. Anyway, you know. I've been doing my thing. I went to the fucking rock climbing gym today. I was excited because it was Monday, so I assumed kids would be in school. I forgot that it was President's Day. Um, And, you know, happy birthday, George Washington and all. But it really did fucking ruin the vibe. I hate... Listen, I like kids, okay? Uh, You know, my ex-girlfriend had a child. He's a great kid, okay? Loved hanging out with him. He was awesome. Okay, I think he's getting raised right, so he fucking knows how to act. He's polite and pleasant to be around. I will go out to lunch with the child of a close friend and and the parent, of course. I don't go out to lunch with children I'm not related to. I really wouldn't even go out to 
to lunch with children I am related to alone. I don't think my cousins want me to take their kids out. They don't know my name and they're scared of me because um, they won't talk to me. But, you know, I like I like kids. I, I can like talking to a kid. They're funny and interesting and I can have fun talking to a child. I don't like the understandable yet ever-present lack of social grace that exists with children. And when I don't know those children and have no reason to give them a chance, boy, am I not a fan of kids in a way that I wish I could be nicer. But, man, kids that are not mine and are not my – I mean, I don't have mine. But, I mean, kids that are not mine or my friends or – I don't if I don't know a kid, that kid needs to get the fuck away from me, which honestly probably is because I smoke too much. I smoke a lot. And I live in a nice neighborhood, and it seems like every fucking time I go to smoke is the time to just bring out the parade of children, of strollers and five-year-olds that walk too close and stare at me. But anyway, I go to the gym, and I'm like, okay, none of these kids are going to be here. It's fucking Monday, you know? But they're all there. There's a lot. There's this one fucking guy. He must be like 60. I don't know whose kids these are. Maybe there's grandkids, but he's there with like two other women that I guess are parents and they got like eight kids total. Like they planned president's day. We got the day off. It's going to rain. We got to get these kids active. The perfect place is to bring them to the rock climbing gym. Of course it fucking is. And maybe if I went to an adult gym, I wouldn't have this problem, but I refuse to actually work out. I will lightly work out while climbing on colored rocks and pretend I've made my life better. Okay. That's what I want to do. But anyway, I'm there and there's a whole bunch of fucking kids and, um, if you listen to this podcast, you know I've had my trouble with children at the rock climbing gym. You know that I have climbed a wall and then had a kid climb it right after me to show me up. And that affected me for weeks. That did not happen today. I did not get into any conflicts, uh, nor did I get shown up by a kid. But uh, they did get in my fucking way a lot. Because, listen, the first time, there, uh, other times there are kids there, they're usually with... They're all individuals. It's one kid with their parent and the parents with them, and it's, it's whatever, you know. This day, there was eight kids. They're all friends, and they're all kids love to fucking run in a line. And they're just running under people, just adults who could fall on them, you know, just running around. At one point, I go up to do a climb, a very easy one, a, a level three climb, um, which is hard for me, okay? I'm being very humble and very honest with all of you. So I go up to do that. And I put my hands on the wall ready to go. And then a kid just runs up with his friend and starts doing the wall right next to me. So we can't do it at the same time because of the risk of somebody falling or hurting or a kid just doing something stupid and just getting in my way. And they don't have the the understanding that it's rude because you're, you know, there's a courtesy. It's like, I was here first. You got to wait. I'll do this. Then you can go in two seconds. They don't think like that. They just fucking go. And in their mind, they're like, why can't we just climb next to each other? Because in a kid's mind, they're not like, they're not like I'm going to, you know, I could fall. A kid would never believe that. It would actually be very sad if you took a kid to a rock climbing gym and he was like, let's be safe. You know, I don't, we can't fall here. Because they can totally fall there. They weigh 60 pounds and there's very padded mats on the floor. They could fall from 100 feet high there. They're totally fine. But yeah, then they just, they're fucking it up, you know, and it's tough because one of my least favorite positions to be in is to not be good at something, but want to ask somebody to stop interfering with you doing it, okay? And this happens sometimes, like maybe you're doing a comedy show, 
and it's not even going that well, but then somebody starts talking, it's a lot harder than if you were crushing to look at that person and be like, can you shut up? Because if you're not doing well on stage, it's like you're going to be like, can you shut up and listen to this continue to not go that well? Okay, Jesus Christ. You know, like, you don't have a fucking leg to stand on. And then, you know, I, I got that times 10 in the rock climbing gym because I'm okay at best at stand-up, but I'm bad at rock climbing. So, like, if I'm trying to do one of the easiest climbs in the gym, I can't look at a parent and be like, hey, get these kids out of here, okay? They're in my way. I'm trying to get serious. You know, and I don't want to be serious about it. I don't want to take this seriously because um, I'll probably quit at some point. Um, and it's also a dumb, silly thing. So it's so stand-up, you know. But you know, I don't want to. I don't want to act like I don't want to be like I'm fucking good at this because that's embarrassing. You know, I just want to go there and get a little active for a little while. You know, and that's a tough. That's an easy space to be in when nobody's fucking with your shit. But goddamn, if you bring kids into a rock climb. I mean, it was getting insane because I don't even know what the point was. Because some of these kids were totally old enough to be there. They were like eight or seven. And that's great for them because at that point, they weigh like 60 to 70 pounds. So they can climb so easily. Like they can do a lot of climbs that like adults can't. Hard climbs simply because for them, making that reach or whatever is a lot easier because there's no weight really being held. You know, they're light as a feather. So. It's good for them. I get it. I get why you'd bring a kid there, because they can actually do it. But there, I swear to God, was like three toddlers. Like three and under. Like most likely two. Okay? Like new to walking. And they're barefoot. There's not even climbing shoes that are their size, because they have baby feet. And they're cute as hell. You know, they're climbing around on like, they're like clomping around on like padded stuff. But they can't climb a single thing. They just go up and they, they don't even know where they are. Which is, you know, I sound like I'm judging them for this. I'm not. It's very cute to look at. They don't even know what the place is. But it's great for a three-year-old in a weird way because they're just so like, oh, my God, there's so many different colors and different shapes. And then they just go up to the wall and they just grab it and they look back at their parent like, what the fuck? You know, but there's no attempt to climb. Like, that thought would, they're like two years away. They have to evolve into the thought of like, well, I could move upward. You're kidding me. You know, it's it's very cute, and it's, you know, I get it, but it's also, like, very dangerous, because there was just, like, a three-year-old barefoot with his father, who I don't think rock climbs either. It's not like he's trying to teach him anything. There's a three-year-old barefoot, and he's just running away from his dad, and he's running under all these adults climbing. And then the dad is like, hey, don't do that. But the kid can barely speak English yet, so it's like, what are you... Dude, you're... You cannot teach him stuff yet. Like, he's so little. He's so little that it's like you can't look at him and be like, that's unsafe. Like, he doesn't understand what the fuck you're talking about. Like, he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know why he's here. He knows he's having a good time. He knows it's fun to run on the mats. And, you know, he's pretty amped for some lunch that's coming after that he'll have two bites of, you know, and then cry or whatever. But you cannot tell him rock climbing etiquette it's such a stupid attempt you know and I don't want to critique anyone's parenting I know 95% of the time I'm a parent if I ever am is going to be spent with me just being like ah that just feels fucking dumb what the fuck are we doing you know what I mean I get it you know maybe that dad came there and thought it was a kid's thing and then was like oh shit adults actually fucking do this that's so fucking gay and he's probably mad at us for even doing it he's like why 
why aren't these people in work, you know? But, yeah, it, it's fucking, you know, annoying. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just not fucking good at it, um, which is fine. It's interesting, though, you know, because it's not like a skate park. I th- maybe I've talked about this before, but, you know, I, I used to skate, and I was never good at it. I just did it to keep my friends. But skate parks are scary because it's similar to rock climbing gyms where you have to wait your turn to go on a ramp or some shit. Like, you got to look around and see who's coming. You can't just start, you know, and kids provide a similar obstacle in skateboard uh, skate parks because they just fucking go anywhere they want. But I remember it was so much fear when I was, like, 12 at a skate park, just being like, man, this is fucking terrifying. And, I mean, it, you know, it is, because you're 12, and then there's, like, 16-year-olds smoking weed, and they'll just beat you up, you know what I mean? And not, not really, but, like, they could, you know? So I was always scared. I always waited my turn. I was always quiet and very polite, just trying to get out of there alive, you know? But these rock climbing people, they never skated. They don't have that fear in them. They're all comfortable. So everybody's close to each other. Everybody's trying walls in front of strangers, you know, which I am very embarrassed of. Like, if there's somebody I don't know in front of a rock climbing wall that I'm going to try, I'm like, okay, I got to either kill them or try and get them to leave L.A. or, you know, I can't do this with them watching. And, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I'm. I maybe I should have never skated, you know, because it really put a real fear of trying new things in me. I mean, skating is really the worst because it's like you can hurt yourself while doing this. You can fall so easily. People will laugh at you. People are mean. And people are also going real fast when they're way better at it. You know what I mean? And rock climbing is a similar thing, except those guys aren't, like, tough. They're like pussies, but they're, like, really good at that one thing and could probably beat the fuck out of me because they're all strong as shit when they're good at it, you know? But they're, like, not mean. Like, I don't even know if there's a lot of judgment, you know? Like, I think they would only judge me if they were all trying a really hard thing and then I started doing it even though I obviously couldn't and got in their way and took up their time. I think if you just stay out of their way, they're they're mostly fine. And it's the same way with skaters. It's a lot harder to stay out of their way. But but it is interesting. I kind of want to get the lay of the land. Like, I, sometimes I want to start climbing something, and then before I do, I want to look back at a person who I've seen be way better at rock climbing than me and then be like, are you going to judge me for this? Or like, what's your take on me doing this? Like, if I'm up here climbing this V3, this very easy wall, do you just look at that and be like, okay, this guy's learning rock climbing. He's not that good. I'll look away. Or or are you staring at me doing it, like judging me? Are you assuming that I think I'm really good at this and that I'm kind of a douchebag? Because that's what I'm afraid of. What vibe am I giving off? Because I really don't want to look like a guy uh, which is what I am, which is a guy that has not come to the gym a lot, but is like kind of acting like he's in it. You know, like I don't, it's weird when people start a thing and they see how like Rock Climbing 2 has kind of its own distinct style. So you can kind of see people who are really going for the style, who maybe don't even rock climb that much, but are really trying to look the part. And I'm always scared of doing that because I don't want to look the part and be bad at something. I kind of want to look like I'm not great at the thing. You know, I want to walk in and people be like, he's. He's just a guy that kind of comes here. He's not good at it. You know, I'd like people to know that and expect nothing from me. And it's funny because this anxiety requires a lot of narcissism to think that any that that my walk in is noted by anybody, you know. Um, But I don't know. It's a gym. People are looking at each other. It's a hot place. They put in a partner climb, which is a climb that is what it sounds like. Two people do it together. And they need to use each other and each other's bodies to finish the climb. So, like, I was there today, 
and there's a lady hanging off a wall with like both hands on two different rocks and then both feet on two different rocks and then just kind of hanging off almost like in a seated position but you know she's not seated and then the guy she was doing it with had to take his hands and then wrap them around her waist and have his face like right near her ass and then like lift up off her and then she eventually had to reach over his waist to, it was the sexiest climb i've ever seen and that place is already like sort of to me yeah i guess gyms in general are kind of like you can tell people are hooking up there i don't want to say it's a sexy place because i don't want to sound like i go in there and i'm like oh yeah i'm trying to fuck that's not the plan okay i'm the least attractive person in that place but I will say, you go in and you're like, I know people are fucking in here. People are meeting here and they're fucking, okay? Because they're hippie types, but they like working out. They're all in their little outfits. You know what I mean? We all got our little shoes on. They look like slippers. We're vulnerable. Okay? Look at that guy in his little slippers. He's cute, you know? There's that. And then they got this partner climb. And it's just like, I saying to my friend Dan, I'm like, this place is too goddamn horny. I was like, is that for Valentine's Day, you think? He's like, yeah. You know, and I was like, yeah, it's like for couples or I guess like and then I was joking about just going around the gym and just going up to every single woman and being like, hi, would you like to do the partner climb? Would you I, I'm trying to do the partner climb with somebody. Would you like to just fucking try goddamn partner climb with me? I just want to fucking try it. goddamn it. And then by the end, I just have to go up to a really fat guy and I'm like, do you want to do the partner climb? For some reason, he's like way down and then we try it. Um, but yeah, man, a lot of people going to the rock climbing gym. And you can tell they're fucking. And you can tell they're fucking because there's all the hot people who are really good at rock climbing and they got good rock climbing style and they're already hanging out with each other. And the sexual tension is, I feel like I'm watching a movie every time I'm in there. I mean, I feel like I'm at the nerd table. And I don't want to be in the cool table because that requires getting really good at rock climbing and that's never going to happen for me. But I'm just seeing these, these guys and I'm like, okay... So it seems like you come here, you get good at rock climbing, you get into a crew, and then you fuck people in the crew. Sort of the way like goth kids in high school did. They have their crew and they just fuck around the crew. I don't know how it works, man, but I can tell they're all fucking. And these, these people have good at fucking endurance, you know what I mean? You can do the whole Kama Sutra. They're flexible, they're strong, they can hold a position, they got good grip strength. I mean, the, the kind of fucking that must be going on, guys must be getting their dicks torn off with the kind of hand jobs and, and probably pussy grips that are happening inside of that gym. I mean, you must be doing a Kegel every time you do a climb, I imagine, with the motions, you know. And it's crazy. And, you know, I try, I, you know, I try and focus on climbing, but every day I'm just whispering to my friend Dan, I'm like, look at them. Look at those two. Look at that guy. It's, it's, there's so many different characters. There's an interesting thing today where there was a man who was probably about 50 he looked like he might have been Brazilian. He had long hair, and he seemed to be the coach, but more so spiritual guide of teenagers. Not in a creepy way. He was obviously just a rock climbing coach. And there was all these kids who seemed to be like 14 to 17, and they were fucking nasty at rock climbing, okay? So this guy was, he wasn't fucking them. He was teaching them rock climbing for sure, because they were doing like V7s. I don't know. If the levels to these seem to go up to like 12 or so, but 7 is like that crazy so these fuckers are just climbing around like crazy and it was interesting to, there's so many personalities with rock climbing it's interesting to see people in their element i think that's what's interesting especially when they're young because young kids just ascribe personalities to themselves they don't even think about you know 
Like there's this kid and he was like he had like like painted nails that were pink and like pink shoes. But he was very like broy. He was like a guy. Like I think he was straight, you know. He was just like that's just like straight Gen Z. He's just nasty at rock climbing, pink shoes, pink nails. Um, and then fucking listening to headphones and just like looking so pissed. And then just climbing around. And I was like, man, everybody here is just has their own personality. You know what I mean? And it's interesting because like see because this guy is obviously a climber. Like his life is climbing. So it's when you see somebody in their element, they really have so much like confidence where they're just so like fuck you you know what I mean and I'm like dude this kid's I mean he's he's training to be one of the coolest rock climbers ever you know what I mean because any any of you know I've seen the future versions of this kid like the 27 year old dudes in there they all got attitude you know what I mean they got attitudes like chefs you know they got tattoos they say fuck but they're committed to something they're very serious about being healthy but they're like punk so I I I get a lot out of the gym just from uh seeing people be cool, you know? And and maybe the last five minutes of me describing the gym just sounds like I go there and I just stare at women and get hard. That's not what I'm describing, okay? I'm thinking mostly of men and I'm not getting hard to them either, okay? I'm thinking of their swagger that they walk around with at the rock climbing gym. And I and I just Look at different ones, and I go, is that guy gay for that, or is he cool? And I go, he's kind of cool for that, because he's really fucking good at rock climbing. But the minute I see some motherfucker that's not that good at rock climbing that has a big attitude about it, I'm like, fuck off, dude, you know? And that's why I, I try and be real low-key at the rock climbing gym. You know what I mean? Try and be real low-key. I don't talk to people. I don't flirt with anybody because I'm not good at rock climbing. And I don't know if I could flirt with anybody at a place where I'm just actively being bad at something you know what i mean you can't be like what's up girl and then just like do a climb that a child can do and like kind of struggle with it you know that's not hot but you know i will say i'm i'm an observer of people their attitudes their relations their emotions and there is a lot of all of that in the rock climbing gym it is clicky there's it's mean girls attitude coming from mostly French men, you know, they have a very mean girls attitude, these men. And they strut around, you know, and I just it's like being at a at like at, at like a Victorian court where you're like, ooh, a debutante, you know, like there's just very like, ooh, who's this person? They seem to know the lay of the land. And then I feel like a peasant where I'm like, there he goes. That is the man. With very wide shoulders, despite being 5'6", 130. He has such wide shoulders, it seems like he would fall with those kind of shoulders, you know? But, uh, yeah, I think it's fun. I gotta do something, because I rip my pants horribly in the crotch, and I don't think I can keep walking around the rock climbing gym with that, or I gotta put shorts under it. I don't know, but it's not the best look. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if it, maybe, I think it, I think it makes me look like a douche if I keep wearing ripped pants, because then it's like, I'm just a fucking climber. Uh, my pants are ripped. I feel like everybody was like, get better pants. You know that's not a good idea. But honestly, I don't have better pants. The only other pants I can really wear are these pants and one other pair, and they're both dickies that are too small for me. You can't rock climb into them. They'll rip immediately, okay? I can't lift the leg. But I'm there, and I got fucking ripped pants right in the crotch, and the underwear's covering it. There's no dick out. It's fine. But, you know, it's not a good look. And I didn't love that, you know, you, you think a lot more about your ripped pants when there's eight children sprinting around 
you know? Um, but maybe I wouldn't have to fucking think about that if it was, you know, a place of adults, okay? And, you know, frankly, I think, honestly, the sex that I've been talking about is distracting a lot of people from the climbing, okay? Because they're good, but they're taking a lot of breaks to flirt while being sweaty. I see it, okay? They're taking too much time off. And I would like to bring more of a temperance kind of attitude to the rock climbing gym, okay? No vices, okay? No more drinking. You can smoke a little weed, but no more drinking, no more sex, no more boyfriend-girlfriend relationship in the rock climbing gym. Let's focus on getting to the fucking top of the wall, okay? Can we just focus on what is important for one goddamn second, okay? Yeah, I know he's hot. Obviously, he's the hottest fucking guy ever. He's like rugged, but toned. He's got hair, but not a lot. It's like kind of fuzzy, you know what I mean? But not, you know... It's manly, but not overbearing, still has a feminine touch to him, or at least he's soft, you know. It takes a lot of patience to know where to put your foot and your fingers on the wall. You could probably use that on, on somebody's inner walls, okay? I get it. It's a sexy place. But it's enough. I've had enough, okay? I think I want to have a preacher come in once a week to talk to these fucking people about the importance of self-control, okay, of moderation, of really thinking about things, of monogamy, because I bet there's a lot of polyamory on those walls, okay? I think sometimes there might be three people on that partner climb, you know what I mean? And I don't like it, okay? That's bullshit. That's a waste of time. Stop coming in here looking hot and European as hell with your tiny little shoes mouth-fucking each other in front of me, okay? Because my life sucks and everybody hates me. And I love observing people. So I'm seeing a lot of cool lives that I should obviously be jealous of that are better than mine. And it takes a lot. It's distracting me, frankly, from my work. I, don't, I really don't climb at all. I go in there and I do probably about eight or so climbs. I spend the rest of the time talking to Dan about other people in the gym and their unique personalities. I would like a little bit if we stopped being so colorful. Okay, if we started wearing long clothes, long sleeves, pants, okay, and maybe a headdress for the women in the rock climbing gym, you know, yeah, fuck it, let's install Sharia law in the rock climbing gym, okay, I can climb in a robe, there's so much mobility, Are you fucking kidding me? I guess you can see up it, but just be respectful, you know, so I don't know, I'm sick of it, I'm tired of it, um... I'm not an incel, I am a Catholic, and I think everybody in the rock climbing gym needs to come to God and focus on getting to the top, okay? Instead of staying at the bottom fucking somebody in the rock climbing gym, okay? If you're going to fuck each other, I'm bisexual, I'd like to be a part of it, okay? If you're looking for a third, that's me. And I know most people don't take single men, They're not, people aren't looking for that. But I'm a nice guy, okay? And you can fuck me, you can fuck me. If you're, you're obviously an alpha, you're fucking awesome at rock climbing. Of course you're going to fuck me. I want to fuck you. I don't care about your girlfriend. I just want to fuck you. So you're going to fuck me in front of your girlfriend? Okay, and then give me some pointers on rock climbing or not? Because otherwise I'm shutting this whole thing down. Stop being so sexual. Enough. Anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with uh, Billy Squire, Ringo Starr, and Edgar Winter. Um, thank you so much for listening. I love you so much. Bye-bye.